welcome to this week's teaching from Exchange Church in the heart of Belfast. So a couple of weeks ago, I just want to recap on something because the, the, the thing about the Word of God is it speaks right into where you are today if you're open for it, okay? There's the, there's the written Word of God, the Bible, and it's just there all the time, if you know what I mean. It's like it's always there. You can pick it up, read, and if you read Joshua chapter 1 on today and in two years' time, it's going to be Joshua chapter 1, all right? And it's because it's the written word. And then we, we believe in what's called the rhema word, where this written word is actually applied by God for your situation and your circumstances. That's why we say whatever your question is, go to the word of God, go to the Bible, and you'll find your answer there. Because the, the rhema word, which is like the now word, it's like when you read it and the Holy Spirit just goes, that's, that's for you today. And there's a verse that makes sense, you know? And you can't make, you can't force that. Like, I, I remember, remember the old, was it the Gideon Bibles? Remember them? I used to find them and all. I remember those. Um, Blessed them. They did great work. But remember there was always a, week, there was a bit in their Bibles where what to do if you're feeling depressed and there was all these verses and what to do if you're feeling, I think that was really, really good. Um, and, you know, because you were able to go and go, well, this is where I'm at. What does the word have to say about that? And uh, I spent many, many, and I was just reading through the whole thing going, well, I'm not angry or depressed, but I'll just read it anyway. And it was, you know, but, and it was this, this attempt to go where, where you're at, this is what the word says about where you're at. And so I, I want to talk today from the book of Esther and next week. I'm just going to do two weeks on it. And uh, you know, it's going to run, as always, it runs on two tracks. Number one, what is the Lord saying to you right now about your life and about where you're at? And if you're open for that, this written word will be a now word for you. I believe that. But also it's about where we're at as a church, because as you know, um, in a number of months we're going to be homeless. I've marked out a wee spot at the arches there for us. Uh, we're going to have, a, I'm only joking, a marquee, and uh, we're going to do open airs for six months that we'll find somewhere. I don't know what's going to happen, but what I do know is that God's already gone before us. And so, and in the story of Esther, there, there's like, I, I'm, so I'm speaking to you and I'm speaking to us all in the one go. Does that make sense? And so open your heart this morning because this is a great story. And I know some of you, if you've been around church for any number of time, any length of time, we know these stories almost inside out. And what we have to be really careful not to do is go, I know that. Because the written word becomes the now word in a moment. Do you get that? And when you switch off and go, yeah, I can know this. You, you cut yourself off from what the Holy Spirit has sent to you right now in this moment. And so if you do have a Bible, turn up the book of Esther. It's in the Old Testament. And, uh, but if you don't, don't worry, I'm going to put everything up here on the screen because uh, the book is named, right, for, for what's it called the star of the story. It's, it's, a, it's a girl who's a Jewish girl. She's originally called Hadassah, and she's taken from her guardian, a guy called Mordecai. I'm going to explain all this. If you don't have a clue, listen up. And what, what happens is that she's forced to compete for the affection of a king. So there's three big characters in the story. If you don't know it, listen up. There's Esther, okay? Esther, original Hebrew name is Hadassah, which means a myrtle tree. And that's, she was called that because it was like a sweet fragrance, right? Sweeter than a rose. And they were in Persia. Now her name is changed to Esther because she's gonna be in a different place. So she doesn't have her Hebrew name. She has a, her new name, Esther, and that means star. And she really is kind of the, the center of the story. She's the star of the whole story. You've got this guy called Mordecai. Now, Mordecai takes care of Esther. And in, in the whole story, in the whole narrative, he is a type of Christ. 
So what, what does that mean? Well, in the whole t- Old Testament, it's not like, like Jesus wasn't there until the New Testament. Jesus is hidden in the Old and revealed in the New. And so Mordecai is a type of Christ. We see Christ-like qualities, and he's a picture of Christ for us through the whole story. And then we've got dun, 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 Haman. He's evil, right? And uh, so every time you see Haman in your head, you've got to go, dun, 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 right? So he, he's like the pantomime villain. He's not even a pantomime villain. He's a bad brute, and we're going to see that. And Haman is... He's an evil man, and he's a type of antichrist. So we've got Mordecai, who's a type of Christ. You've got Haman, who's an antichrist, and he was dead clever. He was ingenious, in fact. He was sneaky, and he knew how to rally people and get people to coalesce around his, his uh, cause. Now, let's get into it, right? Because there's, there's this beauty pageant, because the king, who's called Xerxes, had a wife called Vashti, and they were having two big parties, basically, right? separately. So they're having, like, King Xerxes, or Azurius, as he's called, he's having this big deal, loads of celebration, probably a few drinks being had and all the rest of it, and Vashti's doing one for the women separately. And because he's had a few after a few days, he goes, go and get Vashti and tell her to come here. And Vashti goes, no, you're all right. Tell your man to do one, basically, right? I'm not going there. Maybe she had had a few as well. I don't know. But she wasn't for going. And what happens then is, like, this is how Esther comes into the story because um, basically Xerxes says, well, Vashti will never appear in my presence again. See, if she won't come here when I tell her, she's done. Okay, we're finished. You know, talk to the hand. We're just not doing this anymore, Vashti, all right? And so that's, that's what the, the kind of premise of the whole story. Now, what's interesting here is Esther is the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention the name of God. But that's not to say that God wasn't there. God wasn't absent even though his name's not mentioned. His presence permeates every bit of this story. And it's as though, even though you can't see his name up front, he's in everything behind the scenes, coordinating these coincidences and circumstances to make sure that what he wants actually happens. Do you get that? Think about that for your life right now. Because right now, you might feel, like I said a couple of weeks ago, you might feel that I can't see God. I can't see where he is in this. I might feel like the Lord has left me behind. But this story is going to tell you that even when you can't see him, he's working. Even when you can't feel it, he never stops working his grace into your life so that his purpose for your life will come to pass. Do you get that? He's never done with you. He's never fed up with you. Even though I'm going to talk today about depending on the favor of God, and I'm going to say that there, we have a choice in this, where we trust that the Lord is actually working. So think right now, think about the things that bother you. Think about the people in your life who you would love to see saved today sitting here with you. Think about the people you'd like to see healed. Think about all of that. And probably for some of you are going, I, I don't even want to bring God into that conversation in my head anymore because I'm disappointed because he's just not there. And I kind of know that God loves me and I know that God's good, but where is he right now? Anyone? I want to encourage you. See, as you're sitting here right now, in this moment, he is working. Somebody give me an amen. He's working. He's working his will. He's working his grace. He's working his goodness. He never stops working for your good because he loves you. 
And sometimes what we need, we need to get to the word and we need to read these stories to go, despite what is going on, if I depend on the favor and the grace of God, I will see his, his love, his goodness, and his purpose fulfilled for me. It will come to pass. Why? Because he's working it. And what we're going to see is you can't work the favor of God in your life. There is nothing that you can do this morning to work one bit of grace into your life. Do you know that? There's nothing you can say. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can you know, wish for. There's nothing that you need to position yourself for in the sense of if I do this, then maybe. The Lord says, just trust in this moment that I'm working. Trust in this moment that I am right there. And can you see me? I might not be up front, but I'm deaf. My presence permeates everything if you're my son or my daughter. Okay? It's an important, important point because the faithfulness of God is going to permeate every scene that we're going to talk about. And nothing's truly coincidental. The, the book of Esther says to us, there, there's this bit here in, in Esther 4.14. It's probably the most famous verses in the whole of the book. It says, and it's Mordecai saying to Esther because there's going to be a bit where Esther's going to have to step up, right? And he says, Esther, you know, who knows whether you've not attained royalty for such a time as this, right? Whether... You know, who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. You know, what, like Adam actually, uh, no, sorry, Nicola prayed it, uh, and Adam said it uh, in worship th this morning. They talked about righteousness, right? And they talked about how God, what God has done in your life. You know, when you, when you came to faith, in that moment, he perfect, as Adam said, he perfected you forever. We talk about, you know, like it says in Romans, about reigning like a king, those who receive what the gift of righteousness, what happens? The Lord says they reign like a king, right? Now, it's not, we're not gods. That's not our theology. But what happens is that God says we reign with him above the things of life. And it's interesting when you think about that. You, you can go, thank you, Jesus, amen. And I'm just going to hold on for the skip, by the skin of my teeth until next week. Until I get another wee touch, another wee blessing, keep going again. And the Lord says, no, no, flip sake, lift your head up, all right? Because what about, the time, what about these times we're living, us, living in right now? See, there, there, there's what happened. I can't speak because my arm's up, right? <laughs> do you, can we do subtitles this morning, right? Or somebody get up and give an interpretation in tongues, what he was saying was. Who knows whether you put your name in there? Who knows whether Adam has not attained royalty for such a time as this? Can I just encourage you, the gift of righteousness that God put in you was not so that you would just be some kind of weird holy person who goes, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. It was for the times that we live in. It's for the people around us. It's for that righteousness to flow in us, of course, renewing us, making us whole, making us holy, all of that stuff, making us healed, protecting and providing for us. But if you stop there, you miss out on 90% of it. Do you know why? Because it was for such a time as this. If ever there was a time where people needed to know the goodness and the love and the the favor of God, it's now, isn't it? it? The economy's going sideways. Nobody trusts politicians. All this kind of stuff. Like, look at our own country, 20 odd years after the Good Friday Agreement, and we hate as much, each other as much as what we did 100 years ago. Anyone? If you don't believe me, go on Twitter for five minutes. It's a cesspit, right? Where people anonymously will fire stuff up, that, and you, you kind of go, well, it could be a little bit of society, but it shows you what's in there. We're not getting better left on our own. Do you get that? The politicians can't figure it out. God bless them. I'm not knocking them. But if we think that they're going to be the ones to bring about peace and stability, think again. It's not going to happen. And maybe, just maybe, God has made you royalty for such a time as this. 
so that the grace of God, because I am absolutely convinced, more than ever, every day that goes past, that God is raising up a people of grace in this city, in this nation, not so that we can be kind of buffs around, like, oh, we know this bit of the Bible and that, but saw, saw that. That's not going to change the world, is it? For such a time as this, you were called to grace so that this world could see Jesus again. And in that, all men can know that he loves them. Do you get it? So lift your heads up. If you think you're insignificant in any way, the Lord says over your life, do you know what? I put my work in you for this time. This is what grace came for. I so loved the world that I came and I gave myself. I'm not, the Lord says he's not angry with you. He's not upset with you. He's not upset with the world. He's not rallying against stuff. He just goes, lift me up and let them see how much I love them. Because it was for such a time of this. And you know what's interesting? It's that when you, you go on to Esther, when you think about it, she didn't come from much. You know what I love about this story? Is uh, there's no superstars in it. Her name literally means star. Esther means star. But, you know, it, uh, she, even though she comes from nothing, she was an orphan, right? Mordecai was her, like, a guardian. I mean, he, she was an orphan. She's living in a strange country. And if you think about it, an orphan, a foreigner, in a strange country, she probably never had a dream that she was going to be a queen. You get that? That probably wasn't on the grid. But you know what the truth is? Let me speak this to somebody, somebody right now. No matter where you come from, no matter where you live today, no matter what the mistakes you have made, grace says to you today... All of that can go into the past and you can move confidently forward knowing that God has a plan for you. You might not see him right now, but he's working it out for you in every bit of your life. And that plan is to give you hope and give you a future. All right? So let's stop with the, I am this, I am that. I came from this. I've done this. This is in my past. In a moment, grace says, I have made you royal. And your past is done. It's not coming back. The only way your past comes back is if you want to keep dragging it into your today. The Lord says, I'm done with it. As far as the east is from the west, I'm done with it. Now, let me give you hope in a future. And there's Esther, the orphan, the stranger orphan, the immigrant orphan, actually, who's going to be made king, queen, queen, queen. Let's get that right. All right. Can I just say to somebody this morning, your past does not dictate your future. Only God, only God can dictate your future. And this is the most amazing story, right, of how God works in the everything. I am, I'm going to read a wee bit of the book. Is that okay? Is this all right? I, I, I want to, what marks her out? So you've got this wee girl, orphaned, immigrant, strange country, and she has really tough circumstances. Like all our characters actually, you know, that, that, that we look at normally in the Bible, they've got pretty tough things going on. What was the one thing that marked her out? Was that she received the favor of God. That's what I want to say. To, I want to ask you the question, what are you depending on? Because for Esther, the only thing that she could depend on was God's favor. And this book of Esther is a book about God's provision. And like I said a couple of weeks ago, it's not so much a book of miracles. If you need a miracle, God is good and he'll give you one. But this is a, a book about God's provision. Remember I said provideo in Greek? Uh, pro means before and video means to see. So it's like God providing before you even see it. Do you get that? God moving before it, you, you can even see it. God's already working. And so God sees the need that you have. He provides for the need. He works the solution in there, even though sometimes you can't see him up front. You've got to trust that and believe that. So 
Let we go. Let, let, let's get right into it. Let's read Esther chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. How are we doing? Are we okay? Sweating like Hallions, yeah? <laughs> so am I. So, like I said, in this book, God's not mentioned. In my life, where is he? What's it look like? Okay? The name of God doesn't appear, but you're going to see God working. Let's read in Esther 1, 1 to 4. Now, it came to pass in the days of Azurius, let's call him Xerxes, this was the Azurius who reigned over, reigned, went very BT9 there, who reigned over 127 provinces, what happened there, from India to Ethiopia. In those days when King Azurius sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Sushan, the citadel, that's in Iran, by the way, today, that in the third year of his reign, he made a feast for all his officials and servants, the powers of Persia and media. Now, just read that again, from India to Ethiopia, that's massive, right? This is what this guy reigns over. Like, he, he's, he's, like, this kingdom was not small and insignificant. The nobles and the princes of the provinces being before him, when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days in all, that's what we call in Belfast a bender, right? <laughs> he was on a bender for 180 days. Right, and he got <laughs> just saying it as it is. It's really important for the rest of the story, actually. So he's on the tear for 180 days here, eating, drinking, and showing off to all these princes who he rules over. He ruled over this huge domain, and they were really mighty and they were really prosperous. You know, actually, they drank their wine from goblets made of gold. Right, this was not anything cheap. Let's keep going in, in verses 19 through 21. As such, when King Ahasuerus asked his closest wise men what should be done to Queen Vashti, remember this? She, she wouldn't come uh, to him when she was asked. One of them said, if it pleases the king, let a royal decree go out from him and let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it will not be altered that Vashti shall come no more before the king and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she to another who's better than she is going to talk about Esther. So Vashti rejects the king's command to appear before him, and so she's stripped of his position as the queen. Let me tell you what's actually going on there. You know when you go, God, where are you in this? Are you even there? Well, what's happening actually in the text here is there are four hidden acrostics of the name Yahweh in the book of Esther, right? So Yahweh is the name of God, and it's made up of four letters, those letters are Yud, He, Vav, and He, right? Now, in the correct order, if you have Yud, He, Vav, and He, it means that God is ruling. God is currently ruling. So Yud, He, Vav, He, when Yahweh appears that way, what it actually means is God's in control and He is, he is currently ruling. Now, the first time that the acrostic appears in reverse is in the verse that we've just read, where it says here, if it pleases the king, um, here it says that all wives will honor, right? And, and give, and give the, the position in, in Esther 1, right? Uh, 1 120. It, actually, the, the acrostic is reversed, right? And so what that means is we read, let, you know, let, let me just read it. Let, her, let the king give her royal position to another who's better than she, right? Yahweh appears in the original text there, but it's reversed, and what it means is now it's not that God is ruling, but God is overruling. 
So what looks like something normal happening, what the text actually tells us is that underneath it all, this is God at work. Do you get that? God is moving Vashti out of the way so that he can get Esther into way. Now, there's going to be a big reason for that, a huge reason for that that you all know. Can I just say this? There are times where God is ruling in your life, and there's times where God is overruling in situations and circumstances to get you into position, but it will never look like it's that clear to you. Do you get that? When people would have been looking on, it just looked like Vashti, who's also been on a 180-day bender, had lost the plot. Maybe she was still hungover, didn't understand when the king says, come, you come straight away or he'll kill you. Either way, the, the thing that you've got to, we've got to realize is when it comes to the grace of God working in our lives, we can either look at it and see what everyone sees naturally or trust that whatever is moving on around us, that God is behind it. God is moving and shifting and getting things into place. And even sometimes when you can't see it, your faith response has to be, oh, thank you that your grace works well. Do you get that? Because God's given us clues here. He's going, I rule, then Vashti, let's get another one. These are just people. Do you know there are people in your life who God will use to make sure that you're in the right place at the right time and they have no clue that they're being used in the plan of God? Do you get that? It's amazing. I've started to see that many times in my own life where I've started to go, you know what? When, when something's not kind of clicking, I'm a doer, right? I love to see if something's not working. Put a wall in front of me and I'm going to go through it. I've been like that my whole life, right? I don't give up easily, right? I don't. It's not to say I don't get disappointed and all the rest, but I, don't, I tend to just keep going doggedly all the time. And that's sometimes good and it's sometimes not good. What I'm learning now as I approach my late 30s, right, is, and I'm maturing a wee bit, is I'm learning to go, at times I don't want to push here. It looks like it's going the wrong way for me. You might even think today in your life, this is not going the way it should be. And God says, slow down, I'm working. My grace is working well. So you've got an option. Right? I'm going to show you this in a minute. You either do it yourself, in your own strength, in your own power, or you say, God, I trust in your grace and your love for me that you're moving behind the scenes. And I'm not going to force and push, Lord, where it feels, you know what, in my life, I'm getting, so, like, I am genuinely at the point where if it feels like this is so, so hard and you're trying to make it happen, I just stop and say, Lord, I'm carrying a weight that you never gave. So I'm just putting it straight back into your hands. Why? Because if I don't trust that you're working, even when I can't see it and understand it in the natural, then all I'm doing is working to the flesh. Do you get that? Some things in your life, you've just got to pause on and say, Lord, I'm not going to push this anymore. I'm just going to trust that you're working it out. Sound all right? Good. Makes sense to me. All right. I love this though, because it's just that, 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 we, that we think of the Hebrew when you look at it. It's to go, this happens at this level and nobody understands it until you see God going, I'm working. I'm overruling here. I'm taking her out of the way. So, and what's interesting is these acrostics appear like at every pivotal point in the story. And they're always like game-changing moments. I'm going to explain those to you. So yud hey vav hey, I'm going to put it actually on the screen next week for you um, because there's some really critical pieces that I want you to see. So just understand this. There are game-changing moments where God is moving. So God's always in control, right? yud hey vav hey, And then it turns around and God's then turning things over. That's the point. So 
what happens here, let's get into chapter 2 very quickly. We're going to read from 15 to 18. It's, my point today is Esther, with all of, even God is moving and God is putting stuff in place. And it's not a work of her hand and it won't be a work of your hand in your life either. It'll be a work of God's grace and favor in your life. Because Esther depended on the favor of God to get her where she needed to be. Let, let me just explain it. So they send out across the land and they go, Vashti is no more. Let's get somebody new. And so they, they run this like, competition. Think like, uh, I don't know, like uh, some like pop idol type, massive type thing. That's what it was essentially. They went through every corner of the land and they went, we're going to look for whoever's going to replace her. There would have been a... There would have been a <laughs> see? I put that down. Well. <laughs> right? There would have been about 1,400 young women competing for the king's favor, right? Now, here's what I'm going to say. Like, out of 1,400, there was probably quite a, a lot of lookers, right? Statistically speaking. Like, we've got to be real about this. Like, the king was not going to go, like, seriously. There's, out of 1,400, there's going to be a lot of people there that the king's going to go, she's a bit of all right, all right? You just need to be clear about this, because this is the actual story. Now, I don't know about you. Clearly, if I was in a lineup of 1,400 men of a certain age, you're clearly going to be going, oh, no, there he is. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. Right? <laughs> you know it. <laughs> Just imagine. Oh, the one in the pink shorts. Ah, salmon shorts. <laughs> Get him up here. That big hunk of love, right? Yeah. You're, <laughs> so I actually found it really hard to relate to this bit of the story because I'm thinking 1,400... I fancy my odds, that's all I'm saying, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Help him, Jesus. <laughs> but for, for normal people, 1,400, I don't fancy your odds. How are you going to get picked out? How are you going to get picked out of 1,400? And uh, here's the thing, right? The, the, point, the, point, the point is so simple. The way to stand out is always God's favor. It doesn't matter in your life if you've got 1,400 or 14 million, right? The only way to get to the place where God has you is to depend wholly on the favor and the grace of God working in your life. The only way, I'm gonna see, I'm gonna show you in a minute. Because when you put your trust completely, because favor makes the difference. If you wanna know what, what the difference will be in your life, the only difference is God's favor. You get that? That's the only thing that marks Esther right? She's an orphan, she's an immigrant, she's in a strange country, she's competing with 14 other, 1,400 other women. Like, like, just to let you know what these women did, they bathed in perfume for six months, right? They would have been stinking, actually, to be fair, right? In preparation for the king. So it wasn't just like they were kind of like giving themselves a wee, on we go, wheel me out there. Six months, they were, they were bathing in perfume and probably getting their eyebrows done and all, whatever they do. And see how much I know about that. And doing all this stuff. And so it was extremely lavish. I don't know, whatever. But six months of preparation, 1,400 of them going full on at it. All right. But let's read what happens in Esther 2.15. Now, when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter to go into the king, so that now Esther's up here, right? She requested nothing but what Haggai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised. So Esther obtained, listen, favor in the sight of all who saw her. 
So Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace. Esther didn't do what the other 1,400 women did. Do you get that? They were just, they were going at it. They were, you know, in all their finery and bathing in perfume and we blow dry, all that sort of stuff, right? Probably, I don't know, we perm. And, uh, right? <laughs> to make themselves look lovely. She didn't do any of that. She just goes to the guy and says, well, what do I need? He tells her. And so she's, she's now brought in, listen to this, into the royal palace in the 10th month, which is in the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. I'm going to explain that. The king loved Esther more than all the other women. And she obtained what? Grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king made a great feast, the feast of Esther, for all of his officials and servants. And he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces and gave gifts according to the generosity of a king. She obtained grace and favor in his sight more than everybody else. Even though Esther was lovely, it says in Esther 2.7, and she was beautiful, so were the other women. What truly made Esther stand out and eventually become queen was what? God's favor. Interestingly, in the text, the Holy Spirit emphasizes that twice. Okay, He's making the point twice in the text to go, it wasn't her beauty, it was my favor. It wasn't her, her standing, it was my favor. Do you know the sense I got when I was preparing for this? Like, even as a church, we need God's favor in our next... <laughs> we need God's favor anyway, but particularly in what we're facing in the next six months, don't we? Right now, I, I'm, I'm just to really encourage you and build faith in you, I have no clue how it's going to work out. Oh, man of faith. Oh, that's a bit sore. And, uh, but you know what? I, I, every time, I, we had a meeting with, with Ray. Wasn't Ray great last week? So I had a meeting with Ray last week, and uh, I said, you know, I'm worried that I'm not worried. Do you, do you know ever think I should be worried, but I'm not worried? And then I'm worried that I'm not worried? Do you, you ever do that? It's just like, it's, it's so completely, you know, Lord, I should be worrying here. And the Lord goes, why? No point in both of us worrying about it. <laughs> and I, I think for me, when I look at this, it seems so very, very simple, but it's so deeply profound. In this moment, when the, the odds are stacked against, when, you know, I thought about this, and I thought, I thought about a building, right? And I thought, Lord, like, I, I kind of, we kind of do have some sort of sense around what it might look like, you know? It's not, we're not complete. But every time I think about what we might need, I just go, but everyone will want that, <laughs> you know? It's like that space is so limited, particularly in the areas that we kind of feel God has called us to. And God said to me this week, she had 1,400 women who'd been bathing in perfume for six months. But when I say, when I mark you out as my son and my daughter, one drop of my favor and grace in your life elevates you to the place where my blessing flows. One bit. So where are your eyes on the 1,400 are your eyes on everything else? Are your eyes on working it out? Depend on my favor, the Lord says. And to emphasize it in this story, he says, and she depended again. I think the word for some of us today is we need to stop and go, what are the, there's something in your life today where God's favor is somewhere in your head, but it's not here. Because you've been work, working it out, wondering where he is, 
seeing how you might figure things out. And it might be jarring with you. It might not be working. You might be getting frustrated, disappointed with God or with whatever. And the Lord says, no, stop and trust right now that my favor is at work. And when you trust in his favor, what that means is grace says, stop from your own effort. Now, not activity, effort to see an outcome is not the same as activity in something. So some people go, I want to be blessed, you know what I mean? But, you know, I, I lie in half the day and I don't work. Well, you know, that's not the way that it works, right? It's the outcome we trust with the Lord. But, and so activity is fine, but it's what is the activity for? But so what it means is I stop from the inner striving to make something happen. And I free myself to go, I can't see him, but I know that he's there. And I know that he's working. And I know that he's ruling and overruling at every point of my journey. Why? Because if I trust in his grace, I'll be exactly where I need it to be. And there might be 1,400 other people going for exactly what you want. And the Lord says, don't even worry about them. I put my hand on you. You're going to be appointed. Yeah. Isn't that good? I don't know about you. I am sweating up here. All right? So I need to hurry up. Is this okay? Is this encouraging you? Okay. Shall we read on? Okay. So she is beautiful. Now, I, I just want to say this. Put your faith in God's grace and favor today, and you're going to go places. It doesn't matter if you're like the new kid on the block. It doesn't matter like, if you're like the orphan or the, the one who everyone has said you're this, that, and the other. God's favor is the only thing that makes the difference. You might have the smarts, brilliant. You might have the education, brilliant. You might have a great background, brilliant. You know, thank God for all of that, but don't depend on it because it won't work God's favor in your life. Ultimately, depend, I, I love this, I was reading different verses on favor and grace this week as I was preparing, and I went back to the Good News Bible, remember that? It's, great, it's a great Bible, <laughs> you can color it in basically, I mean it's pretty basic, but sometimes the way they translate things, if you love the Good News Bible, awesome, alright, um, but sometimes the way it phrases things is just lovely. Listen to this, Psalm 62, 5-8, I depend on God alone, I put my hope in him. He alone protects and saves me. He is my defender, and I shall never be defeated. My salvation and honor depend on God. He is my strong protector. He is my shelter. Trust in God at all times, my people. Tell him all your troubles, for he is your refuge. Isn't that lovely? Psalm 62, 5 to 8, Good News Bible, Anglicized Version. Write it down, take a note, <coughs> and read it to yourself every day this week. It'll do you good. In fact, I love that thing of Defender. You know, um, the Rugby World Cup started? Why you're not cheering right now, I don't know. <laughs> Penny said to me when it started yesterday, she went, so tell me again how long this goes on for? And I said, Christmas. And she went, ah! And it goes on to the end of October. Thank you, Jesus. And, uh, but it's funny. Because I read this during the week, and do you know what the, the principal sponsor of the Rugby World Cup is? It's Defender, Landover Defender, right? And it's funny, because every time I was watching the rugby, the first couple of games, and um, skillfully negotiated, right? The whole way around the pitch, just keeps coming up, Defender, Defender. Cut, cuts to a break, Defender, Defender. I just felt the Lord saying to me, Andrew, what you've been reading this week, because I, I loved it in that, and he said, just remember, in everything you put your eyes to, see me as your defender, right? Just this constant reminder through the television of I'm your defender, I'm your defender. So let's get into, we'll go very quickly. 
um, why we need to depend on God's grace. Esther, let's get into chapter three. What happens is that uh, Haman gets really jealous, okay? Haman, remember, dun, 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 he's the bad guy. He, he uh, is promoted, he's very important. He wants everyone to bow to him. Now, remember, Haman is a picture of something. And you're gonna see this picture of the law and grace battling, bat, almost battling it out in, in this story. So Haman sends out a decree, right? And basically says, everyone in the land has to bow to me, right? Because I, that's what I want. But Mordecai, who is obviously looking after Esther, won't do it. So let's read it. When Haman, Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow or pay him homage, Haman was filled with wrath. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him of the people of Mordecai. I told him of the people of Mordecai. Instead, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus, the people of Mordecai. So what happens here is Mordecai, Esther's a Jew, Mordecai's a Jew. Haman wants all the Jews to bow to him. Okay, this is the Jews being the people of God. Haman goes, bow to me, right? I'm going to tell you what his name means in a minute and you'll go, ah, it makes sense. Bow to me, and if you won't bow to me, then what I'll do he, he, they say, well, why don't you just kill Mordecai because he won't buy? And Haman goes, I'll not just go for one. Remember Mordecai being a picture of Jesus? I'll not just take him out. I'll take them all out. Does that make sense? So Haman's design is not just about the one. It was about them all. Does that make sense? It has to make sense for the next bit. Okay? So what happens here is amazing. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Azarias, they cast Pur, that means the lots, before Haman to determine the day and the month. You've got to remember this for later on. Okay, until it fell on the twelfth month, which is in the month of Adar. Now, remember in this book, Mordecai represents Jesus, while Haman represents the Antichrist, actually. So Haman is this king's second, uh, king's evil sort of second in command. Now, what's the actual picture here? He was a descendant of the king of the Amalekites. This is a bit of history for you, but as soon as you see it, you go, of course it makes sense. So there was a king called Agag, and he was an Amalekite. And they were the ancient enemies of God's people. Okay, Remember the Amalekites? So when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, the Amalekites would kill the children, the elderly, and all those who would straggle behind when the people of Israel were moving. The Amalekites kept coming at them, and they would, and they would kill the weak. And God says to Israel in Deuteronomy 25, never tolerate, never tolerate the Amalekites, ever. Now, King Saul, right, was told to kill the Amalekites, and he didn't. Eventually, you know that it's an Amalekite who king who kills Saul when he was on in the Mount of Gilboa. So they're the, they're the ancient enemies of God's people. They kill the weak, the children, the elderly, those who are straggling. God says never tolerate them. Saul was told to kill them all, and he doesn't. He leaves some of it, and, that comes, and they come back and kill him. Now, you go, so what? Well, do you know what Amalekite means? The actual name means this. It means to labor with pain. And it represents your flesh. So amal in Hebrew means to labor hard or to labor with pain. 
And it speaks of a fleshly effort and anxiously feeling like everything's up to you. Do you get that? The the ancient enemy of God's people has never been the, the devil. It has been you and your flesh, right? That's why grace came for you, to free you from that. And from the very beginning, God says, don't tolerate your flesh. Don't tolerate your effort. Don't tolerate it at all. Why? Because it will kill you. Saul couldn't get get over it and it killed him. Whatever you tolerate, whatever you don't destroy or allow Jesus to destroy in you will eventually destroy you. It's like your fleshly effort. That's why in this story, you have this picture of Amal, like Haman being like the, the descendant of the flesh, coming against the people. And, you know, he, he went for Jesus, remember? Tempted Jesus, couldn't get him, and then goes, I'm going to destroy the whole lot of them. That was the plan, that the flesh would come, that effort would come, that performance would come, that they would be in this place outside of God's favor, and he could easily then pick them off. And the Lord says, no, don't tolerate that. Let grace and favor be the thing that marks you. And in that moment, you will see me position you for favor. Do you get that? Isn't that amazing? So I, I love this. I, I, this I, thought, I suppose the thing today is this. Like, Haman actually hated the Jews. Let me, before I say that, the, the reason why we've got to go, where in my life am I, have I not been dependent on God's favor? Because if, if you don't kill that sort of fleshly effort, bring it to the Lord into his presence, it's going to rob you of your peace of mind. You're going to be sick. You're going to be stressed. And it'll eventually kill you. That's the bottom line. Haman hated the Jews. And he hated Mordecai because he wouldn't bow. Just let me finish. I'm going to finish now, actually. It says bow or pay him homage, right? Like Mordecai wanted, or Haman wanted Mordecai to bow or pay him homage. Now, the actual word in that is not just like a, hello, you know? Know that? Hello. Just a wee cursory bow. Haman literally, what it actually means in Hebrew is Haman literally wanted Mordecai to worship him. And Mordecai refused because he would have no other gods before him other than the one true God. So Haman then sought to destroy all the Jews because actually, do you know what? When the enemy's at work, like the flesh is truly evil, right? He wants to destroy them all. They, they weren't bowing and worshiping the flesh themselves, okay? But what happened was they, Haman or Mordecai goes, no, I will not bow to my flesh. I'll depend on favor. And the rest of the story will unfold. I really want to encourage you today. I'm not going to teach any more than that. Is that okay? Yeah. I, th- I think what's really important is we can't just go, you've got to think, number one, think about it for your own life. Close your eyes for one minute, actually. And what's going to happen is magically the, uh, the air is going to be filled with some pads of glory. But it's just to still our hearts. And the girls are going to come up to worship here now too. But what we're going to do, and if you're watching online as well this morning, I want to encourage you that the Lord says, bring it to me and depend on my favor on that situation. Could be your kids, could be your family. The Lord says in this story, He doesn't care about your past, He doesn't care about where you came from, He doesn't care about what you've done or not done. 
That's all irrelevant. Because when you come to Jesus, he just makes it brand new. His grace is way bigger than your mess. His grace is way bigger than any mistakes you've ever made. His love is everlasting and it's unbreakable. And he says, you know, in this story, we see the, how the flesh and effort seeks to kill the people of God. The Lord says, do you be smarter than that this morning and learn to come aside and bring everything under my favor? And that this is faith, folks, because when you do that and your declaration is your grace works well, you might still say, I can't see him working. What's happening? What's he doing? I wish he would just send an angel to knock on my door tomorrow night and go, here's the plan. But trust in that moment that he is ruling and overruling at every point of your story. He's either directing your paths or he's directing the paths of others. That's what he does. Do you know right now in our church, in our future, God is working in people, believers, non-believers, it doesn't matter to him. They have no clue that God is positioning them to be a blessing to us. Do you get that? That's why I'm not worried and I'm not worried that I'm not worried because I know that God is moving and my faith and my trust is that he is moving. And so Father, this morning in this place, we trust you. We bring those situations and those things in our lives this morning where frankly in our most honest moments we would say, I don't know where you are in this. And Lord, we bring them to you and we just depend on your favor and your grace this morning. We place them before you. We place them at your feet this morning, Lord, knowing that you care for us so much, knowing that you care for us so deeply. Father, we lay them down and we leave them with you. And Father, today we're gonna go about our business. We're gonna go about what we do, not consumed by the what ifs, the maybes, and why is it gonna happen, but with our heads lifted up into perfect peace. Father, you know, the word says when you, Isaiah 26, when you keep your mind on him, there's perfect peace. So Jesus, I pray that today. And maybe some of you just need to, like, figuratively speaking, just put some things down at the feet of grace this morning. And say, Lord, the only place I want to be found, the only thing I want to depend on is your unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor in my life. Jesus, I thank you for that. I thank you, Jesus, that this morning you're working grace upon grace into every situation. I thank you, Lord, that I can let go of those people and those situations into your care because you care for them. Lord, and I thank you that when I don't know how I'm gonna get where I need to be, how you're gonna work things around because all I can see is the people and the issues and the circumstances and the yada, yada, yada. Lord, I thank you that you will rule and overrule for me and make my path straight. Amen. Isn't grace amazing? So let it go into the hands of grace and say, thank you, Jesus, for working it all out for my good. And all God's people said, amen. Stand to your feet this morning. And um, we're going to worship. We're going to worship with this. Uh, you know, if, if there it has been something there for you where you just go, I just set this down and do that. Sing this song over it. 
and walk out of here going, Lord, I left that there with you. And my trust, Lord, is that you're working it all out for my good. So I'm going to go with my shoulders back, my chest out, my head raised high this morning, knowing that I am blessed and favored by the King of grace, Jesus himself. Amen. Amen.